0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, everybody. Dale Earnhardt phone. Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we, we go. 2022, people. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a fun episode of the Tour Sports Podcast. A little bit of a different show today. Uh, we're kind of in that middle ground. College football's done. College basketball is starting to ramp up. But here's what I want to start with. I actually want to start randomly with the NFL. Don't talk a ton of NFL on this show, but the playoffs are here. And I was watching that Cowboys game like the rest of you. I have seen the reaction from the rest of the media And a light bulb went off over my head as I was watching all of it. Don't talk a ton of NFL, but I have what I believe is a one-step fix for the Dallas Cowboys that guarantees they're competing for Super Bowls. I was thinking about it. I shared it with friends. They told me it was both crazy and brilliant. And so I'm bringing it here to the Air Tour Sports Podcast. From there, we'll do a little bit of college football. Because I'm trying to figure out what's going on with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, of course, the transfer. We'll give you an update on that, what's going on there. USC's former quarterback, Jackson Dart, is now visiting other places. So I want to get you an update on Caleb Williams. And I want to ask the question, what is going to happen to USC if Caleb Williams does not commit to USC? So we'll discuss that. Finally, we will wrap with some college hoops. I've actually gotten several great questions related to college hoops over the last week or so. And so what I want to do is a little bit of a College Hoops mailbag. It's been a quiet couple days since the weekend's episode. If you missed it, obviously, talked a little bit about Louisville, Chris Mack in trouble, Kentucky rolling over Tennessee. But I have a mailbag segment hit on a few different topics related to college basketball, including why does the Big Ten always get so much love, even though they basically never compete for national championships? So wide-ranging show, a lot going on. But, uh, you know, I'm an entertainer at my core, and I think it'll be an entertaining show. So with that said... Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, really, at this time of year, even though I don't talk a ton of NFL, it's the NFL playoffs. Maybe you heard. They're going on right now. Rams won on Monday night. Uh, Bengals won on Saturday. New England Patriots getting blown out in Buffalo. So a lot going on in the NFL. And, and look, this, this show will never be me kind of breaking down like NFL stuff. Maybe the day after the Super Bowl. I don't know. But this show is never going to be a Monday in October, me coming on and saying, let me tell you why the Minnesota Vikings are going to win the NFC. Like That's not what this show is about. But however, at the same time, like I said, we're kind of in that middle ground between college football being over, college basketball starting to ramp up. The NFL playoffs are certainly ramping up. And like all of you, I watched that Cowboys meltdown against the San Francisco 49ers. Like all of you, uh, I follow the NFL, and like a lot of you, I remember a time that the Cowboys weren't that bad. I remember a time when the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. I remember the days of Michael Irvin, Emmitt Smith, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, and I'm wondering what the heck is going on. And so as I was watching that game, and as I saw a meltdown, and as I, sa- as I saw poor Jerry Jones just looking like his puppy got run over by a car, it kind of struck me. Like, this organization is a complete mess. And I kind of, over the course of the last couple of days, I was obviously, while I work out, while I'm doing whatever, I watch a lot of different things, a lot of different perspectives. And a lot of it is, what is wrong with the Cowboys? Can it be fixed? And as I was watching it, as I was thinking about the game, Something very interesting came to my mind, and I believe that there is just two things that have to happen, really one move, that guarantee that the Cowboys are back in the Super Bowl mix, potentially competing for and winning Super Bowl titles. Just one move, Cowboys fans, for I don't even know how many Cowboys fans we have listening, but just one move that you have to do. Now before I get to the move, here is the deal. I want to be transparent about something. It is a move that is never going to happen, okay? And I think this is a fundamental thing that I need to address before I get into the move because at the end of the day, anyone who listens to this show, I think you guys are in some way, shape, or form entertained by me. And I cover a lot of different ground on this show. I talk a lot about what has already happened. I talk about recapping games. I talk about this guy got hired. What does that mean? This recruit committed. All that good stuff. I also talk about what will happen, LSU fires Coach O. Here are the six or seven guys that they are going to go after. Quinn Ewers enter the transfer portal. Here are the six or seven guys that they are going to go after. Chris Mack lost a bunch of games. Does that mean this? What I rarely talk about, however, is what should happen. Things are going wrong, and I just kind of spit out a theory on why I think a certain thing can happen. And so when it comes to this theory, I want to be abundantly clear. It is not going to happen, Okay. But I'm a, first of all, I'm a problem solver. I'm I'm, I'm a solution-driven guy. But two, this is interesting. It makes you think. I believe you'll think about it in in a way that you never have before. And at the end of the day, like I said, I like to come on here informed. I like to give you strong opinions. I like to be smart. But at the end of the day, I am an entertainer. And I'm seeing the Cowboys as a complete disaster. And I do believe that there is an interesting, entertaining conversation to have about how to fix the Dallas Cowboys. Here is my fix on how to fix the Cowboys. One simple step. It's technically two, but it's really one. One, fire Mike McCarthy. I think y'all, that seems pretty straightforward, right? Two, here is the next step. Pay Nick Saban $25 million a year to be the Dallas Cowboys head coach. And that $25 million a year is just a hypothetical number. If it takes 30 to get him to leave Alabama, give him 30. If it takes 40 to get him to leave Alabama, give him 40. If it takes 50 to leave Alabama, give him 50. Whatever it takes to get Nick Saban as your head coach, the Dallas Cowboys should do it, money be damned. And again, two things. One, it's never going to happen, and two, I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, Taurus, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But let me explain why this specific situation with this specific coach, that specific coach being Nick Saban, is why I believe that the Cowboys need to do this and why this will single-handedly fix the problems that ail the Cowboys. And it's not just because Nick Saban's a great coach. There's a specific reason that Nick Saban is the specific guy that the Cowboys should target and pay him whatever it takes. Now, in terms of why it will never happen, there's a few reasons why. First of all, the Cowboys are not going to fire Mike McCarthy, which I think is idiotic. Uh, If you listen to my Fox Sports radio show, I was saying a year ago, Mike McCarthy's team is a mess. Too many penalties, disorganized, don't know what they're doing, simple stuff, they get wrong. Well, that has been proven out true. 14 penalties on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers, most penalized team in the NFL this year. One, it's never going to happen because Jerry Jones is just too loyal and he's not going to fire Mike McCarthy. And two, even if he fired Mike McCarthy, he's not paying a head coach $30 million a year. But it's not for the reason that you think. It's not about the money. It's not about the fact that he cannot afford to pay Nick Saban $30 million a year. No, the reason he's not going to do it is for something that you probably haven't thought of. He's not going to do it because he doesn't want to completely reset the market and piss off the other 31 owners in the NFL, right? Jerry Jones, love him, hate him, whatever. He's kind of the Pied Piper of all these NFL owners. They all look up to him. They all respect him. He basically has final say on pretty much everything that happens in the NFL. Uh, When the Raiders moved to Vegas, when the Rams moved to LA, ESPN did some very good behind-the-scenes reporting. You know who had his fingerprints all over everything? Jerry Jones. And so Jerry Jones, out of respect for the other 31 owners, I don't think he's going to fire Mike McCarthy, period, but he's certainly not going to completely screw up the market for the other 31 owners in the league. Because here's the thing. If I was an owner and I want to win a Super Bowl and I don't really care and I can get Nick Saban and my windows now, I'd pay $30 million. If I'm worth $10 billion, who cares? But Jerry Jones isn't going to do it because it's going to piss off the other 31 owners. And you know who's going to be most upset if Nick, if Nick Saban gets $30 million a year to become the Cowboys head coach? It's going to be Robert Kraft. Because if Nick Saban makes 30, you know what that's going to mean? Bill Belichick wants 40. And if Nick Saban makes 30 to be the Dallas Cowboys head coach, it's going to mean Andy Reid wants 30. And if Nick Saban gets 30 to be the Dallas Cowboys head coach, well, Sean McVay should get at least 20, right? And so that is why it is never going to happen. But here is why I believe this is the move that the Cowboys have to make to ensure a Super Bowl at this specific time, at this specific moment. And again, it's not just because Nick Saban's a great college coach. He's the best coach available. Although that's part of it. There are two specific reasons why, as I watch the Cowboys on Sunday, I believe that Nick Saban is the man that the Cowboys have to call right now to be their next head coach and pay him whatever it takes. The first one, did you see the game? If you watch the game, you know darn well that the Cowboys, their issue is not talent, okay? There are teams in this these playoffs that simply aren't good enough. The Philadelphia Eagles just aren't good enough. The Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger this year as their quarterback, they're simply not good enough. The Steelers were never going to win a Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger. The Philadelphia Eagles, as they're currently constructed, were never going to win a Super Bowl this season. But there was one team that did not have an issue with talent, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys' issue is not talent. They got talent all over the darn field. Whatever you think of Dak Prescott, he's a pretty darn good quarterback, even if he's not Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, whatever. Micah Parsons, one of the best, uh, one of the best play one of the best rookies in the NFL, was a pro bowler in year one as a rookie. Trayvon Diggs is maybe the best cover corner. You have two pro bowlers in Zach Martin and Tyron Smith along the offensive line. And so when you look at this specific team at this specific time, talent is not the issue. You know what the issue is? It's all the little stuff. It's discipline. It's organization. It's game planning. It's fundamentals. As I said a minute ago, Dallas did not lose that game against San Francisco because of lack of talent. Dallas lost that game because they had 14 penalties against the Cowboys, against the 49ers. Dallas lost that game because they are the most penalized team in the NFL and completely unorganized. Dallas lost that game because they ran a quarterback draw with the game on the line and didn't have enough time to get up to the line of scrimmage. Dallas lost that game because Dak Prescott was not well coached enough to know that if you are going to run and you slide, you have to hand the ball to the referee. Don't hand it to the center. Don't dance in the middle of the field. Hand the ball to the referee. Sprint behind your center. Every problem that the Cowboys had this year was not related to talent. It was totally related to the fixable things, to the fundamentals, and to discipline. Well, who is the most disciplined, prepared coach in maybe all of football? The answer is Nick Saban. The answer is Nick Saban, and that's not even my opinion. There's basically indisputable fact at this point. Lane Kiffin has said that going to work for Nick Saban, the most detail-oriented meeting that he has ever been a part of in football are Nick Saban's pregame meetings. I don't have all the details. Believe it or not, I've never been there. But Lane Kiffin said everything from what side of the field are we going to take, what are the wind conditions, what are this, what are that. I remember a great story about three or four years ago. It was maybe a little bit longer. It was during the A.J. McCarron era. But the first year that Missouri came to the SEC, I believe it was the first year. It was the first couple years. Alabama played Missouri at Missouri. And there was a lightning delay during the game. And all the players go back to the locker room, and they're like, what the hell are we going to do? we got a lightning delay. And Nick Saban says, okay, time to go into our lightning delay plan. And Nick Saban, I'm not making this up, you can Google it, had a lightning delay plan. He had a plan in place, the eight steps, what to do during a lightning delay. If Nick Saban took over the Dallas Cowboys, and this is a man with a plan for a lightning delay, you think they're going to be the most penalized team in the in the league next year? You think they're just going to completely not show up in big games like they did a few weeks ago against the Cardinals or against the Broncos a few weeks ago or anything like that? Because I don't think that Nick Saban and the Cow- uh, the Cowboys aren't going to show up to play if Nick Saban's not the coach. But the other reason, so that's one. One is the discipline factor of all this. You need a coach that is going to harp on the fundamentals, preach the fundamentals, do all of the little things, fix all the fixable things. Because again, there are certain things that are fixable, there are certain things that are not. Talent is not fixable. Having Drew Locke as your quarterback with the Denver Broncos is not fixable. You're not beating Aaron Rodgers. But you can beat Aaron Rodgers, you can beat Tom Brady if you have the roster that the Cowboys have with the right head coach. Two, the other reason why I would go get Nick Saban and why I would offer him 30, 40 million a year. Nick Saban, as we all know, just turned 70 on Halloween weekend. Nick Saban doesn't have that much time left coaching, but you know what, and this is the important part. The Cowboys' window to win a Super Bowl with this core, one of the most talented cores of players in the NFL, is right now. And if they don't take advantage of this window right now, probably not this year, but next year and the year after, I believe they have a two-year window to win a Super Bowl. And if it does not happen, it is not going to happen. And let me explain why. First of all, everything, we look at the Cowboys and we think, oh, they're so young, they're so talented, they're so dynamic, they're so this, they're so that. But go ahead and look at that roster and understand one thing. First of all, windows in sports are never as big as we think they are. Could, Could give you a million examples. LSU wins a national championship 2019. Oh my God, are they the team that's going to topple Alabama or compete with Alabama in the SEC for years to come? Then their entire coaching staff leaves, then Joe Burrow leaves. Two years later, Coach O's gone. That's an extreme example, but it's in every sport. The Oklahoma City Thunder may be the best example in recent memory. Make the NBA Finals with a young Kevin Durant, a young Russell Westbrook, a young James Harden, and you say, they are gonna run the NBA for the next decade. Then that offseason, they trade James Harden. They never get back to the NBA Finals with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. The Seattle Seahawks, three, four, five years ago. What was it? About a decade ago now. Win a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, young quarterback, rookie contract. The whole defense is awesome. Get back to the Super Bowl next year, lose to the Patriots, never get back again. And so one, there's the fact that things in sports never last as long as you think they do. But this specific Cowboys team beyond that, their window is right now and here is why. They have a $40 million a year quarterback in Dak Prescott. And they have a bunch of young guys on rookie contracts that are making nothing. And eventually you're going to have to pay Trevon Diggs. And eventually you're going to have to pay Micah Parsons. And eventually you're going to have to pay CeeDee Lamb. And once you do, you can't keep all of these guys in the same way, like I said, Seattle Seahawks. We think they're windows forever. Then a couple guys get older, a couple guys leave in free agency, all of a sudden it's over. Well, look at the Dallas Cowboys right now. First of all, as I said, five pro bowlers this year, okay? Two of them, other side of 30. Tyron Smith, Zach Martin. Offensive tackle, offensive guard, bell cow, you know, like like the entire organization is built around those guys, okay? Entire organization is built around those guys. They're both on the other side of 30. Now I understand that in theory guys can play later now and Andrew Whitworth for the uh, for the uh, you know, the Los Angeles Rams is like 40 and he's still playing as an offensive tackle in the NFL. But the reality is you have players that are still on the back ends of their prime that are going to be important pieces on a potential Super Bowl winning team. More importantly, you have several really good players that are making next to nothing in a salary cap league. And in the same way, when you have a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback on a rookie contract, you have to take advantage. It's what the Rams did with Jared Goff. It's what the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson. It's what the Browns tried to do with Baker Mayfield. The Cowboys, three or four of their best players are making no money. Trevon Diggs is making like $1.5 million a year this year, and he was arguably the best defensive player in the NFL. When he got drafted... Two drafts ago in 2020. How about this? He signed a four-year, $6.3 million contract. Dak Prescott is making $40 million a year. Trevon Diggs is making $6 million over four years. He's on his rookie contract through the end of the 2023 season. In 2024, he becomes a restricted free agent. Ceedee Lamb, same thing. Really talented, really talented wide receiver. I'm knocking over my headset here. I'm so fired up talking about the Cowboys. C.D. Lamb on a rookie contract through the end of the 2023 season. Micah Parsons, the best defensive rookie in the NFL, on a rookie contract through the end of the 2024 season. So three of your best players are making nothing over the next two years. And so this is why Nick Saban's the answer. He's disciplined. He's organized. He's going to get you together. But more importantly, he doesn't care about 10 years from now. His window is the same as your window. Nick Saban's 70 years old. Even if he stays at Bama, what does he really have? Three, four years left? Five? I don't know. Saban's a cyborg, so if he stays at Bama, maybe it's forever. I don't know. But in the NFL, bring him in for three years. Give him a three-year $75 million deal. Give him a three-year $90 million deal. Give him a three-year $99 million deal. Pay him $33 million. Who cares? Who cares? Your window is now Dallas Cowboys and every single year you bring back the same core with the same head coach, Mike McCarthy, you ain't going nowhere. And so that is my one point plan. And I know it sounds crazy. And as I said, sometimes I say stuff knowing that it won't happen. But my job isn't always to just say what is going to happen and be boring and react to what's already happened. Sometimes my job is to be interesting, unique, and darn it, be a problem solver. When I'm around the house, if there's a leak, I fixed the problem. The light bulb goes out, I fixed the problem. And the Dallas Cowboys are my problem right now, and I'm trying to fix them. So again, I understand this is never going to happen. But I was watching that game, and it just struck me. I said, darn it. Their only problem is discipline. If they could just get their discipline in order, they'd be absolutely fine. And so that is what I, my, my suggestion is. I know it is never going to happen, but I thought it was interesting. I ran it by a friend. He said it was genius, even though it would never happen. And that's my solution. And then, oh, by the way, we start the greatest coaching search ever, Alabama looking for a head coach in the middle of, Feb- in the middle of January uh, with the most talented roster in college football. But with that said, this is what I think I'll do. I think I'll go ahead and take a quick break. I'm going to come back. We'll talk a little Caleb Williams. What is going on with Caleb Williams? Then from there, we are going to react to some college hoops. Uh, busy, busy, busy week in college hoops. I will be right back. Again, Bama fans, I understand Saban ain't coming but I think it's an interesting point. Tell me why it doesn't make sense. Tell me why it doesn't make sense, started. it. All right, we're gonna get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I wanna welcome back our sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. Yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below the waist grooming. Fellas, it's 2022. New Year's resolutions. And if you have New Year's resolutions, and we all do, one of them better be to clean up that mess downstairs. Let's be honest, you're a slob, it's disgusting. Well, here's the good news. You can join the millions of men worldwide and use Manscaped and manscaped.com. And here's the best part. If you go to manscaped.com, just because you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, they love me over there at Manscaped, use promo code Torres on manscaped.com for any product that you order. You get 20% off plus free shipping. And ladies. As I always tell you, the promo code works for you too. Your man's embarrassed. Your man doesn't think he has a problem. We both know he has a problem, but he doesn't want to talk about his problem. You go to manscaped.com. You can order the products yourself. With that said, let me tell you a little bit about some of what Manscaped has going on here in 2022. First of all, I have told you about the Performance Package 4.0 many times. It is a package of all Manscaped's best tools for what's going on below the belt. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0, which is their official, their best trimmer yet. It's an electric trimmer, advanced skin-safe technology that reduces nicks and cuts down there, plus there is a 4K LED spotlight to help you get to all those hard-to-reach places. Fellas, we've all used the competitors. It's terrifying. It's scary. You need a Band-Aid. Uh, it doesn't work out well. No problem with Manscaped, especially if you're using the lawnmower 4.0. But that's not, here's the thing. The Performance Package 4.0 isn't just the lawnmower 4.0. Beyond the lawnmower 4.0, also comes with the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver ball toner. So, after you give that shave, use the crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver ball toner. You're going to look good, you're going to smell good. And on top of all that, you got the lawnmower 4.0, you got the crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver ball toner. Manscaped is also going to give you a free travel bag and anti chafing boxer briefs. It doesn't get better than that, that's the performance package 4.0. On top of that, I should also mention, fellas, I told you about this during the holidays. Manscaped also recently released their ultra-premium body wash. I am just telling you, bring it in the shower. Rub, it, rub a little bit of it on you. It's body wash. That's what you do with body wash. Use the Manscaped body wash. It is. It smells so good. I'm telling you. Uh, literally, I brought it out on Christmas Eve at the Torres house, showing the ladies. Look how good this smells. The fellas are saying, how do I order it? Well, here's how you order it go to manscaped.com. You use promo code Taurus. Performance package 4.0. Beyond that, the brand new ultra premium body wash. It's going to leave you smelling great. Everything thanks to manscaped To manscaped.com. Again, manscaped.com. Use promo code Taurus. 20% off plus free shipping. Everything on the website if you use the promo code Taurus. Fellas, ladies, promo code works both ways. I want to thank you. Your balls will thank you. Manscaped.com. Promo code Taurus. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, Manscaped. Manscaped Manscaped.com, always use promo code Torres there if you're gonna do that. Also, I do hope you enjoyed that Cowboy segment. It's something different, but something fun. Um, And it was something I was thinking about. And so I figured, why not? It's Wednesday, it's the middle of January, it's the playoffs, there's no time like the present to just start going, throwing out crazy theories. But as I said, I am an entertainer first and foremost, and even if I know it'll never happen, I think it should. If I had $10 billion like Jerry Jones, that's what I would do. With that said, though, let's switch gears. Let's get back on track here. We're off the tracks. Let's get back on track. And let's talk about what I believe is probably the single most fascinating thing going on in college football right now. Now, again, I'm recording here on Tuesday night, late Tuesday. Things are always subject to change. But as I record right now, there are two just absolutely fascinating stories going on in college football as it pertains to next season 2021 season just ended what does 2022 look like well it depends on two things the first Jim Harbaugh we talked about it on Monday's show don't need to repeat it I think at this point it's pretty clear it's either Raiders or Michigan I don't think there's any in between I would expect us to get some sort of resolution here in the very near future beyond that I would also say there's another interesting story and that is the ever ongoing saga of Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams, we talked a ton about a few weeks ago. We talked a ton about a ton about during the regular season. But Caleb Williams, as I record here on Tuesday night, January 18th into January 19th, is still in the transfer portal. So what's going on? What, what is going to happen? And what would be the trickle-down effect if Caleb Williams does not choose USC? I think there's a lot of layers to this. So let's get into it and let's break it down. And at this point, you don't need me to tell you about Caleb Williams. Incredible player. Five-star, number one quarterback in the class of 2021 until Quinn Ewers reclassified. And we saw on the field the difference maker that he is. At the time, saved Oklahoma's season. At the time, elevated the program back into the national championship picture. At one point, I thought he was maybe the Heisman favorite at Oklahoma. And of course, when the season ends, Lincoln Riley leaves. And, you know, Caleb Williams wasn't great down the stretch, but he was banged up, whatever. Lincoln Riley had one foot out the door, whatever. Well, Caleb Williams stays. Caleb Williams plays in the bowl game. And Caleb Williams hits the transfer portal. And he does that the first week of January. He does that before the national championship game. And all these weird things started to happen in the lead up to the national championship game that week that you started to feel like, okay, it looks like we're going to get a resolution on this Caleb Williams thing soon. And all of the things pointed to one thing. Caleb Williams entered the portal as the Oklahoma quarterback. Obviously, the option to go back was always there, but they took a commitment from Dylan Gabriel, the former Central Florida quarterback. And so it didn't look like he was going to Oklahoma. And really, in the five, six, seven days after Caleb Williams entered the transfer portal, all signs pointed towards him eventually ending up at USC. And the reasons why were obvious. One, Lincoln Riley's there. We all love college recruiting, high school recruiting, while we all love our school and we all wish that kids committed to schools, not coaches, the reality is Caleb Williams committed to Lincoln Riley coming out of high school. There was a reason he ended up at Oklahoma coming out of the Washington, D.C. area, and so it made sense to follow Lincoln Riley there. But beyond that, there were other signs that it was USC as well. First of all, he visited USC in the lead up to the national championship game that weekend before. We all saw the pictures. He was at the Rams game. I believe it was the Rams 49ers. I could be mistaken, but it was one of the Rams games. Uh, He goes to a Lakers game. And so you do the mental math in your head. He's posting on Instagram from the Rams game. He's posting on Instagram from the Lakers game. He's in Los Angeles. Well, he's going to commit to USC. Beyond that, one of Oklahoma's best skill position players, Mario Williams, really talented wide receiver from Florida, out of high school, commits to Oklahoma. And when he hits the transfer portal, he decides to leave Oklahoma He says, wherever Caleb's going, that's who I want to play with. So Mario Williams hits the portal. Mario Williams visits USC. And oh, by the way, last weekend, Mario Williams committed to USC. And oh, by the way, on top of all of that, Jackson Dart, who was the projected starting quarterback at USC, coming into next season, enters the transfer portal the day of the national championship game. And so again, I'm not a mathematician here. I'm not Neil deGrasse Tyson but visits USC. Projected quarterback enters the transfer portal. One of his good friends commits to USC. And you think it's only a matter of if not when. Yet here I am late Tuesday and Caleb Williams still has not committed to make a decision for his future in college football. And it's really interesting because, one, we just thought it would happen by now. Two, everything pointed to USC. But three, there's the whole academic component to this, right? And I know we make fun of academics, and these kids are the student athletes, but they're really just athletes. Like, you do have to go to class, and you do have to be eligible. And if Caleb Williams wants to play spring football, be enrolled, he he obviously has to be enrolled for the spring semester. And so the question now becomes, is USC still the favorite? And if not, what's going on? And what I would say is this. Right now as I record here, there's no reason to really think that USC isn't the favorite, okay? Obviously, the possibility of returning to Oklahoma is always out there, but they took Dylan Gabriel. It's worth noting that Jackson Dart, the quarterback that left USC, is expected to visit Oklahoma soon. So they are not recruiting as though they expect to bring back Caleb Williams. And so why is it taking so long for Caleb Williams to commit to USC? Is there another school involved? Is there this? Is there that? And you read all the message boards, you don't know what's true. And what I can tell you is, I think there are two reasons probably that USC, that Caleb Williams has not committed to USC. One, I told you a few weeks ago when he entered the portal, I said, look, I got a buddy, he's in this kind of, quarterback world where you know the the quarterback world is small right that elite 11-ish type world and the parents and it's we've all seen the shows and he was the one that tipped me off about I don't know two three four hours before Caleb Williams hit the portal oh by the way Caleb Williams is hitting the portal here soon and that's exactly what happened I touched base with him a few days ago and he told me an interesting tidbit he said I heard the visit didn't go that well I heard that he didn't like USC, that maybe it wasn't a Lincoln-Riley thing, I'm not blaming Lincoln-Riley, but that USC just wasn't what he was expecting. And I don't know what that means, and I have no insight further. All I can tell you is I do live in Los Angeles. I'm not criticizing USC. It's a beautiful campus, but it is kind of in the middle of downtown. It's not next to the beach. You can't throw a football off the practice field and, and it land on, on, you know, on sand and, and blue water. And so I think there's at least the possibility that he had a vision of what USC was going to be in his head, um, and that maybe it just wasn't that. And it doesn't mean he's not going to go there. It just means that I think it's at least possible that that was part of the circumstance with USC. Maybe it just wasn't what he thought, and maybe he's going to visit some other schools. I think it's worth noting. I think there's just other schools that maybe get involved. He supposedly visited UCLA while he was in Los Angeles. I can't see that happening, but who knows? There's reports about Wisconsin, which I can't see, but who knows? Maybe a Georgia, as I said, gets into the mix. Um, there's reports that, D- that JT Daniels at Georgia is hitting the portal here in the, the coming days, may hit the portal by the time you listen to this. And if that's the case, then that opens a spot up at Georgia. So, so the point is, could be USC wasn't exactly what he thought, could be certainly that he is considering other schools as well. I also think there's one other factor in this that has to be considered, and that's the reality that there's NIL money at stake here, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, and by the way, there's nothing to accuse, there's nothing wrong with taking NIL money, but I bring all this up to say, I do think that that's at least a possibility. I was told that, you know, um, you know, how do I put this delicate, listen, the, I don't even, it's not even that I was told, it's that we now live in a world where schools, where programs, where boosters can offer stuff above the table. And so it is a possibility that maybe Caleb Williams wants to commit. Maybe Caleb Williams is ready to commit somewhere. And maybe Caleb Williams' camp, maybe the adults around him, all these guys have agents now, it's above the board, is waiting to see if this school can get involved or that school can up the offer. Or maybe Oklahoma gets back into the mix and what happens if I come there? And so really, it's not even what I was told. It's just common sense of this guy has the chance to be the biggest star in college football. Right now, there are zero guardrails on the NIL stuff, and it could be a simple NIL thing. Does USC have something on the table, but can this school match it? Is USC behind in NIL? And Like, I don't know, but I could see the scenario where they're waiting to see what kind of NIL packages come to the table if Caleb Williams decides to commit. But what I would say is it's going to be fascinating to watch. And what I would say is is, is it, it is especially fascinating for this reason. As great as Caleb Williams is, the world is not stopping for Caleb Williams. This is what I find really interesting. One, Oklahoma, as soon as he hit the portal, Dylan Gabriel commits to Oklahoma. And I do wonder, in hindsight, if maybe it was actually Oklahoma that kind of nudged Caleb Williams, not the other way around, because... Dylan Gabriel was set to enroll and start classes at UCLA. And so because of it, Oklahoma needed an answer from Caleb Williams like, that day, are you hitting the portal? Because we have a good option. And if you don't believe that you might, if you believe you want to consider other options, then we need to go ahead and consider the fact that, uh, you know, we need to look at other options. But beyond that, and I think this is really important. As I mentioned, Jackson Dart, who was projected to be the starting quarterback next year at USC, hit the portal after Caleb Williams leaves. He's taking visits. He was at Ole Miss the other day posing with Lane Kiffin. He's supposedly considering Oklahoma, maybe one or two other schools, but this is not a kid that is sitting in the background waiting to see what Caleb Williams does, and if he doesn't go to USC, he's coming back to USC. He seems as though he is ready to move on, and where's my next stop, and where can I I potentially play all that good stuff? And so I bring it up because it is setting up a classic, a fascinating kind of game of chicken between USC and Caleb Williams, because if Caleb Williams doesn't commit to USC, they could be scrambling for a quarterback. Now, a couple things. It's worth noting, USC is still coached by Lincoln Riley, right? And so because of it, um, as long as Lincoln Riley is the head coach, they're going to be able to bring in high-caliber quarterbacks. But there isn't one in the portal better than Caleb Williams, and there isn't one in the portal better than the one from USC that just went in. And so, one, that is a fascinating trickle down effect. If Caleb Williams goes somewhere else, who does USC go after in the portal? And then, two, what if they don't get that super high profile guy? We're going to find out pretty quickly how good of a head coach Lincoln Riley is, how good of a quarterback whisperer Lincoln Riley is. Now, I think he's great. Turn Baker into a Heisman Trophy winner, turn Kyler Murray into a Heisman winner, turn Jalen Hurts into a Heisman runner up. But man, oh, man, oh, man, just think about what could potentially happen. If Caleb Williams goes somewhere other than USC again, this is a story that we will continue to monitor. But you just talk about fascinating stuff. Uh, this is one that I cannot wait to see how it all shakes out because there are no obvious answers in terms of what Caleb Williams is doing, when his time frame is, and what happens to USC if Caleb Williams ends up somewhere other than the Trojans. All right, what I just want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and I want to wrap with little college hoops as i said college hoops college hoops college hoops i got a couple great questions for potential mailbag segments so i want to hit on those beyond that i also uh you know just want to talk a little college hoops so we'll be back talk cowboys talk caleb williams talk manscaped now we're going to do a little bit of college hoops when i come back all right everybody i am back going to be back, going to be back, do want to switch gears, I do want to wrap the show on some college hoops, and it's funny, right, you know, I spent all day planning out the show, what am I going to talk about, oh my goodness, maybe I do this, maybe I talk that, maybe whatever, I bring it up to say this, throughout the day on Tuesday, I actually got about two or three really good questions as it pertained to college basketball, a couple people just DM me, one person tweets at me, uh, on and on, and they say, Torres, what about this, what about that, and I said, you know what? Let's do a College Hoops mailbag on Wednesday's Aaron Tour Sports Podcast because what could possibly happen in College Hoops on Tuesday that warrants me just doing a segment on College Hoops? Well, then a funny thing happened. The games are played. And oh, by the way, it was a night of insanity, okay? Duke goes down at Florida State. North Carolina gets destroyed by Miami. Texas loses at home to Kansas State. And so I got to talk some college hoops here without the mailbag. For those of you who submitted the mailbag questions, I got one great one on the Big Ten. I got one on Brad Enderwood. I promise I will get to that maybe on the next episode. But tonight I gotta focus on what happened on the court in college hoops. As I said, Duke loses to Florida State, UNC gets destroyed by Miami, and Texas loses to Kansas State. And so the question now about those games becomes pretty simply this which of those three results am I the most concerned about? Which is cause for concern? Which is the team that probably isn't going to be able to figure it out this year? And which team is going to be a colossal disappointment? Well, I think you can probably guess that Duke is not that team. We can criticize Duke. We can make fun of Duke. We can poke, poke at Coach K when it comes to Duke. But the bottom line is they are a really good team that I don't think is truly elite. I don't think there's a single truly elite team in college basketball this year. So when a really good team goes on the road, when they lose one of their most important players, Trevor Keels, to an injury, and I hope he's okay. As I record here, we have no confirmation on what his injury is, Uh, and you're playing a good team and you're not great, just really good like Duke is, you're probably gonna lose some games. And so that's exactly what happened. I still think Duke is fine. I still think as the season goes on, they're by far the best team in the ACC. They're gonna be a one or a two seed. And as I say, there's no great teams and how they they succeed or fail in the NCAA tournament is gonna depend on how the matchups are. Not worried about Duke losing to Florida State. Credit to Coach Leonard Hamilton, who once again is turning around Florida State. And I know I said two or three weeks ago that the ACC is terrible, but Florida State is turning it around and I think they're actually pretty good. The question then becomes... How concerned am I about North Carolina? Well, I'll be honest. I am actually starting to get pretty concerned about North Carolina. And, and it, I'll say this. I don't want to do the Hubert Davis hot take yet. But I really do wonder um, if, this guy, if it was the right decision for North Carolina to hire this guy. I said it at the time. North Carolina is one of those blue blood Cadillac jobs and I really do wonder was there a guy that they could have gone out paid six seven eight million dollars a year and got him away from another school I think especially after what we just saw in college football where USC convinced Lincoln Riley threw a bag of cash in him convinced him to leave Oklahoma Brian Kelly bag of cash, convinced LSU convinced them to leave Notre Dame, I think it makes it less and less excusable that North Carolina did not do a real coaching search, that they did not throw tens of millions of dollars at the feet of somebody uh, that was outside of the program and instead relied on Hubert Davis. But for now, I am going to give North Carolina a little bit of a pass. And the reason being is this. One, Miami's a really good team. Miami is a team that currently, as I record here, is and 14-4. Miami is a team that when it comes to the ACC is currently a team that they they took care of business they beat Duke at Duke which I do think is important and as I speak there's only one team in the ACC that has one conference loss that is the Miami Hurricanes 14 and 4 6 and 1 in the ACC it might just be time to admit that Miami's a pretty good basketball team maybe not great maybe not national championship good but they might be the best team in the ACC. I would say probably second behind Duke, but they even beat Duke. So I'm going to try not to worry about North Carolina. I'm definitely not worried about Duke. But Texas, I'm officially worried about Texas. I am officially worried about Texas after they lost to Kansas State to fall to 13-5 in on the season on Tuesday night. Yes, the same Texas team that I was hyping in the preseason, that I had in my preseason top five, that I had in my preseason Final Four, that I said Chris Beard was building the next great power in college basketball. That team is now 13-5 with a loss to Kansas State on Tuesday night, probably closest thing to rock bottom that has happened since Chris Beard got there. Now, before we go further, I should say in the big picture, no, I am not you know, bailing on Chris Beard. I'm not selling all my Chris Beard stock. I still believe that he will be really good at Texas and it is worth noting, even though he has had success at every single stop that he has ever gone to, it has not always been right away. Just go back to that last stop at Texas Tech. We remember year two when they made the Elite Eight. What a great story it is. We remember year three when they make a Final Four in Minnesota. What we forget was year one at Texas Tech, Chris Beard made the NIT. And so it's not as though every single stop in his career has been an immediate fix But this one was supposed to be different. One, because it's Texas. Two, because he's officially established. And three, because he brought in a loaded recruiting class highlighted by some of the best transfers in college basketball. And so when you talk about Texas Tech struggling, you have to admit that guys like me in the media, and I hold myself responsible, may have overvalued the particular guys that Chris Beard brought in, the particular players that Texas has, and how they would perform together at Texas. And I truly believe that's what we're seeing now. As I said, Texas is 11 in, or is it 13 and five overall. And when I look at this team, and when I look at what this problem is, they brought in a bunch of really good individual players out of the transfer portal. But when you look at them on a roster, on paper, it looks great. And then when you watch them play together, the puzzle pieces don't really fit, right? You bring in Marcus Carr out of Minnesota. 19 points, five assists per game at Minnesota. But he's kind of a guy that needs the ball in his hands and he needs to make plays and he needs to take four or five shots to get himself going. Then he's going to get everybody else involved. Well, you can't really do that when you have five, six, seven, other really highly touted players on the team. He is struggling right now. He's averaging 10 points per game. This after averaging 19 per game last year at Minnesota. Timmy Allen was another star, all Pac-12 first team at Utah last year. He is Texas's leading scorer. The problem is he is a wing that can't really shoot the ball. So he's averaging 11 points. He's averaging six boards a game, but he can't really shoot the three. Kind of a problem in 2022 in college basketball. You're 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", got to be able to shoot the three. Uh, One of their big guys, Trey Mitchell, really talented, doesn't really like to go down low, struggling, he's kind of a perimeter player, even though he's 6'9", 6'10", doesn't really fit in with what they want to do. Christian Bishop, played at Creighton, but if you watch Creighton last year, you know, he's kind of an energy hustle role-playing guy, which is great. Texas needs him to be on the court playing big minutes and he is not the kind of guy that is going to get you 15 and 11 on any given night. They're probably their best big guy, Dylan Disu, is still coming back from injury. Uh, Devin Askew, we kind of know the deal with him. They brought in a highly touted freshman that already transferred. And so when you bring those guys in and you look at all those pieces on paper, they all looked really, really, really good, but they don't fit. And we're seeing it on the court as this team continues to struggle. And boy, oh boy, are they in fact struggling. I mean, you look at what they have done this year. Um, Again, I think you can argue they're right up there as the most disappointing team in college basketball. Now, Memphis is probably number one, but even Memphis, I had them like 15 to 18 in my preseason poll because I just said, look, they're fine, but they made the NIT last year. Um, They're relying a lot on freshmen and Penny Hardaway has no track record. So when you look at Texas, a bunch of players who have delivered at the college level with a coach that has delivered at the college level, I don't think there's any doubt that this team has been the most disappointing team in college basketball because it's not only that they're 13-5, and but it's who they've beaten and it's who they haven't beaten, right? Opening week of the season, Texas is hyped, they're back, they're good, they're this, Chris Beard, go to Gonzaga, get absolutely destroyed. A couple weeks later, they don't really play anybody, they start beating bad teams, go on the road to Seton Hall, lose a game. So you come out of out of conference play and by technicality they still have one more out of conference game. They play Tennessee in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Tennessee isn't even playing very well right now. They easily could have lost to Vanderbilt on Tuesday night. But Texas's out of conference resume is basically non-existent. Their best out of conference win was a neutral court win against Stanford that is going to carry zero weight. So when you have no out of conference wins, what does that mean? You got to come into conference and start winning games. Just one problem As I said, they are currently 3-3 in the Big 12. They have one pretty solid win against West Virginia at home, and that's really about it. Last four games, lost to Oklahoma State on the road, did beat Oklahoma at home, then lost to Iowa State, then lost to Kansas State. As I said, fall to 13-5, and that's just not really the kind of resume that right now is going to get you into the NCAA tournament. Now, the good news is, of course, there's still plenty of basketball left to be played. I still do trust Chris Beard. I'm not saying it's all over. I'm not saying the sky is falling. I'm not saying, again, that he's going to be Tom Herman or Steve Sarkeesian or Charlie Strong or Shaka Smart or whoever. I still believe that he will eventually figure it out. The good news, again, is that there are plenty of games to figure it out. The bad news is most of their toughest games are still ahead. They basically have no resume to speak of. A win over West Virginia, which is currently 2-3 and three in Big 12 play, is probably their best win of the season. And you know who they haven't played yet? Haven't played Kansas yet. Still got two games left against Kansas. Still got two games left against Baylor. Still got two games left against Beard's former team, Texas Tech, who you know is going to be jacked up to play him. Still have to play Iowa State once later in the year, which is playing really good. You still have to play at Oklahoma, which is really good. Still have to play TCU, by the way, a couple times. TCU is not bad this year, guys. 12-2 overall, Jamie Dixon's Horned Frogs are. So I bring it up to say probably the three best teams in the big 12 you still have to play twice a piece great because you have plenty of chances to pick up wins but more realistically the way you're playing pick up really bad losses and so for me right now with this team the way they're currently constructed i find it really hard to believe that they're going to magically turn it around they're not very good offensively they don't shoot the three ball well at all um You know, there's nobody on this team that can really take over games for large stretches because, again, Timmy Allen, their best player, just isn't a good enough shooter. They're not great on the boards. Uh, They turn the ball over way too much. And there's nothing really that they do that makes me feel like they're going to magically turn it around. And so when I talk about which team concerns me the most coming out of Tuesday, there's no doubt it's Texas. And let me say one more thing before we get out of here. Let me say one more thing about Texas, because when I look at this team, there is one thing that does immediately come to mind, and that's this. It is that, and I am as guilty of this as anybody, it is that we probably need to be careful over-hyping transfer stuff during the offseason, right? And let me, let me backtrack and say, like, I'm the dude that probably on a national scale talks transfers in college basketball as much as anybody, there are guys that cover it. Jeff Borzello does a really good job. John Rothstein does a really good job. But in terms of podcasts and radio and, and articles, and th- like I think I cover it about as much as anybody. So I'm as guilty as anybody of overhyping these guys, including the guys at Texas. But as I watch these Texas guys, something did strike me. If you're bringing in a bunch of transfers, and I'm not saying it can't work, right? I'm not saying you can't plug a hole with a transfer. Walker Kessler's been awesome plugging a hole at Auburn. James Akinjo has been awesome plugging a hole at Baylor. And I'm not saying under the right circumstances, it can't work out like at Kentucky. Right now, everything is working out well. Oscar Shibwe is awesome. Severe Wheeler's awesome. Kellen Grady's awesome, et cetera. But I bring it up to just say this. When you rely heavily on transfers, and I'm not sure that Chris Beard is going to going forward because they signed a really high-profile recruiting class for 2022, something struck me when I was thinking about Texas right now. If you're bringing in transfers, even really good transfers that are in their third, fourth year of college basketball, there's a reason they're in their third, fourth year of college basketball. It's because they're not that good. They're not good enough to be in the NBA. And so when I look at the transfer stuff and how we cover it, I include myself. And by the way, come April and May, you know I'm going to be guilty as hell when somebody commits to Texas or Arkansas or Bama or Tennessee or Kentucky. You know I'm going to be talking about it. But at the same time, I think we also have to accept – that these guys are transferring, if they're still in college basketball as a third, fourth year player, it's probably for a reason. It is probably because there is something, whether it's their shooting or their size or their athleticism, there's something that's keeping them in college basketball. And I do think we have to be careful about overhyping these guys in the transfer portal when they decide to transfer. Because again, I think you can plug a hole. I think you can add a guy here or there. But to build an entire team the way that Texas did, Sometimes it's going to work out like Kentucky, and sometimes it's going to be a disaster like it's been so far at Texas. I'll be curious to see again if Chris Beard can turn it around. But like I said, the toughest part of the schedule is ahead. They don't have much of a resume right now, and I would be concerned. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Eratora Sports Podcast. I think that's it for this episode of the Eratora Sports Podcast. I am going to get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Make sure you're checking out the merch Aaron Torres, online.com slash merchandise. we got our Big Pig Invasion shirts up. we got our Revenge Tour t-shirts up, all that good stuff. Uh, And make sure you're following the the other social media accounts as well, at Torres on the Hogs, at Torres on UK, at Torres on the Vols, on and on and on and on and on. But with that said, I do think I'm going to get out of here. Long night, fun night, great night of College Hoops. We're going to ramp up the College Hoops here over the next couple weeks, and we'll have plenty on Friday's show reacting to all the games Wednesday, previewing the weekend ahead. Oh, by the way, Torres Media is going to release our All-American teams, our midseason All-American teams later this week, so look out for that at AaronTorresOnline.com. But with that said, it's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you guys for subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. It's time for me to go. With that said, shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. Shout out to Nick Saban, to the Cowboys. Just kidding. It should happen, but it isn't. I'll be back later this week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.